0: Podcast that's on the actual website is not linking the new ones. So if you say, I really, so we're, what about Dr. Brassfield's t- teachings last week? Or what about the teaching from the previous week uh, on this series, the overview? They are on the podcast. So you just simply have to do the infamous Google search and you would type in podcast Heber First Assembly and it's going to come up. Podcast with Lee Brown, Pastor Lee Brown. And you'll just go by date, and you'll see it right there. It'll say Dr. Brassfield. Anybody? What was that? Any other additional copies? Do so we have enough? Everybody yeah, took a right Okay, a couple more if anybody wants. Up in the sound booth right there. Here's mm-hmm. a couple more, Brother Larry, take with y'all okay. and pass them out. You can just hold them. If, if somebody said, and, and Walt, do me one favor. You know, I hate it when the doors open in the back. I don't know. For whatever reason, I just like to be closed in, shut in with the Lord. That little gap space there will make me think you're trying to escape out of here too quickly. Um so, if, I hope I've covered the materials there that are necessary. I apologize if you've shown interest in the study, and we didn't have a book here. We're doing our very best. It's just more people have been added kind of week after week from there. Now, let me, let me remind you about um, something, and that is, first of all, about this book. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. This book was purposely chosen because it's not necessarily uh, in-depth with a lot of philosophical writings about marriage it's primarily the the um the lessons are pretty precise and concise and they're to the point you're going to have to get a pick out and you're going to have to dig these truths out of the word of god Amen. oh jesus Amen. Amen. thank you so so that was just that was by design because that's we want to we want to develop our marriage the way that god intended Not even what the culture, not even what even perhaps parental examples that have been in front of us. We want to make it a base upon the Word of God. So let us pause and pray. I am building upon the foundation of what Dr. Brassel taught last week. He literally just hit the ball way out of the park. It was like a Bo Jackson home run from the 80s. I'm talking it was 452 feet over the wall, we all sat here semi-mesmerized as, as we were challenged about God's purpose for marriage. And it strengthened our faith, it strengthened our belief in what was in God's intent and His heart and His design. And, um, and so before we pray, I just want to remind all of you that are here tonight, and this is a wonderful group of men and women. We have a lot of different and unique situations that are present here tonight. We have marriages that have been... Um, people that have been married for a long, long time who have learned enough across, uh, in the course of life to know that you can always continue to grow and strengthen. Mm-hmm. Then we have marriages that are kind of new and uh, maybe just are kind of, you know, revalidating uh, a foundation. Some may have not even had a foundation, and this is a new moment for them, and they're just simply trying to establish, you know, build your house on the rock. and that's that what the scripture says? And so, so that's that's a group of people here tonight. There's some, some some among us that there's actually some tension between husband and wife here. And this is a little bit of a little bit of a marital counseling in one sense. Not much counsel going out, but there's a lot of instruction or doctrine that's going out. But maybe it will spark conversation in the home. Um, there there's some that are using this as premarital counsel that are here under the sound of my voice that are. You know, working out some things and issues in their heart as they are preparing to go into marriage. There are singles among us that are just in a season of being single right now, whether it be by divorce or by death, and uh, some are planning to remarry at some point in time, and they, they, they are, they're gleaning whatever they can to prepare them for that moment, right? And that's very good. Probably the ones that have the most difficulty uh, just emotionally are those that have lost a spouse. In the last couple of years, and still feel that absence. And as a pastor, I know—I uh, don't know that by experience for me personally, but by being their friend and pastor of, for many, many years, I know of the trauma of their heart. And uh, and it's a great some for some of them. It's a great challenge. It's even—it's just by faith that they're here, and they're simply wanting to to hear the word. Maybe they may they may not remarry, and so they are simply trying to strengthen themselves. Maybe to be a mentor to someone else at some point in time. So you see the wide swath, and that's why everybody has to do your very best to extract and to make to extract the doctrine, but also to make it applicable to your particular situation, right? Because there's simply no way in this broad setting that I can cover this 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 uh, the intent of my heart and the intent of this lesson in a way that is just so particular to your situation that you walk out of here and say, "Wow, he was just talking right to me." So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to use some of your giftings here tonight uh, certainly as well amen? amen all right so let's pray and let's ask the lord shane already has done that and i'll add my faith with his and ask you to join it with us tonight god we love you tonight and we do feel humbled i feel humbled to be in this room amongst such a wonderful group of men and women including many visitors who have come out tonight that are for the very first time going to uh, hear Pastor Brown teach or speak, and, and, and that puts additional pressure, God. And yet I, I know that you've ordained this moment. I can see it in the eyes of the people. I can hear it in their voice. I can see it in their desire to, uh, to, to strengthen their marriage, God, to, to know that the foundation of the family, God, is a husband and wife, father unified and walking together in agreement. And so, Lord, we just ask you to help us. Help me tonight, God. Uh, Father, I pray it so often, I pray it uh, publicly again, and that is, Lord, make me as the oracles of God. And Father, let the people respond and the people's hearts be ready to receive of this word tonight, Lord. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said amen and amen. All right, so let me go ahead and begin to work my way down here. And so you actually have the same notes that I have in front of me tonight, which is a little bit of a stretch for me to actually give you the entirety of my notes here tonight. But that's okay. Um. So we are on lesson number two, which is actually lesson number three in the book, and it is on the responsibility of the husbands, where we're at tonight, the husband's responsibilities. And we're going to pause right there. You said, Pastor Brown, why would you have, you know, diverted the direction that the author intended when he folded this together in chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three? It was simply because I believe that the natural order, going back to the Genesis, reflected by the apostle paul is that god created man the male singular first and gave him responsibilities before eve was even created and so i felt like the author kind of had missed that moment by putting the wife's responsibilities first so i have i guess it's inverted it or flipped it or however we want to say that so with that said what i would like to do is start off how many know this is very very important that you know, a, a passage in 1 Peter 3. It's one of the verses that you would have looked up. It says that, um, it, it's speaking to the husband, but I think we can broaden it here tonight. It says, to dwe- for husbands to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. So let's pause with their according to knowledge. How many know that it's, it's a constant state of learning in marriage? I can remember a, a wedding that I uh, I didn't officiate, I listened to, and I, and I, was, I was there, and I was, I was learning about marriages and such, and and I just remember the, the minister speaking to the couple, I think it was their, his son, and he said, you are going to be in this school, and he called the name of his wife, um, he called, her name was Robin, he said, you're going to be in the school of Robin for the rest of your life. You're going to be in a constant state of learning, and then he, you know, repeated that towards, you know, the wife. And so, uh, you know, when you think about this, there is a responsibility that's laid upon both of us here tonight to learn. Not only about roles and responsibilities, which is what we're going to shift to here in a minute, but just even the opposite sex because look around, we're very different. Even look, look to your side if your spouse is beside you. I mean, men and women are, are different. And I know the culture has tried to blend that, right? But the Bible creates a great distinction, right? And so it behooves. And so, so first of all, let me just speak to the ladies just very, very quickly. So the ladies among us here tonight... Um, first of all, we're going to be talking about husband responsibility. It's important for you to know what his responsibilities are so that you can create, so you have a proper understanding, and proper expectation for him, right? So it's not skewered, so that you can understand what God's responsibility is for him, amen? And then your response to him. And so that's not only learning about his responsibilities, but learning about him. And I found a picture of of a young lady that was studying about men, studying about her husband. I'll put it on the uh, on the screen here real quickly and you can see her she's or she's she's probably going through some premarital counseling and that book you probably can't see it but it says all about men and she's contented she's excited she's learning i mean i like, feed him watering him, you know uh, pat him on the back every now and then you know make him think that he uh has the power over the the remote control you know and she's getting it all down you know right there Right So she's, she's pretty content, and' there, "Well, so the, in the same measure, though, me and it behooves us, and it's our responsibility to study and to learn about the opposite sex, the Eve that God has brought into our garden. And so here I found another gentleman, and he's in a lifelong journey and a process here of studying. <laughs> and, and he's doing his very best <laughs> to study. Come on, somebody. I don't care where you're from. That's funny right there. Come on. <laughs> all right, so there it is. That's the funny part. I got it out of the road. I was more nervous about that than anything of the whole lesson tonight. So, <laughs> all right, get that off of there, Lori. Sherry, go park the car right there and start it fast. All right, so let's just really quickly, I want to talk about the book, because I'll tell you what I'm going to do in a few minutes, but we are going to kind of do a little bit of an overview for just a moment. So just with this, the author is basing his teaching on something here tonight. He's basing his teaching on the assumption, and you can kind of read it there with me if you, if you choose to, that marriage has clearly defined roles and responsibilities based upon the recorded Word of God, that God in the Scriptures clearly defines and gives distinct roles and responsibility and he's making the assumption that each individual within the marriage uh, unit must understand his or her roles uh, in the biblical context and so you know so as a student of the scriptures myself hopefully i know that they're all throughout beginning in the genesis in the garden god spoke to both adam and eve all the way down through the epistles but particularly the, the epistles the apostle paul the apostle peter give very distinct roles and responsibilities and he's basing certain and making certain assumptions upon those teachings and so as you see it here it simply says that the the author surmises that the responsibilities of the husband two of which seem to stand out above all others and gentlemen if you are like Gandalf in that picture you're going to learn that there's a lot of responsibilities for you uh, in your in your uh, you know in your relationship with your wife and in your responsibilities towards your wife But the author surmises that there's two in particular that seem to stand out above all others, and that is to love and to lead, those two, correct? Or to lead and to love, depending upon how you choose to look at it. And it's primarily, he is primarily basing that exhortation upon Paul's famous narrative in the scriptures of Ephesians chapter number five, where husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and gentlemen, you can help me with this. Where the ladies are speaking, then ladies know. Let me say it again. He's basing it upon Paul's exhortation in Ephesians chapter number five, where he said that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And he concludes with this model of leadership, and he's defining it here. And and so you can pin these things. I left you a couple of blanks so that you're staying with me along the way as servant leadership. And he's kind of borrowing from some of Jesus' own teaching because Jesus said, He that is greatest among you must be the servant of all. Jesus gave us the greatest example of servant leadership on the fateful night in which he with his disciples, he stripped himself of his clothing and he girded himself in nothing but a towel and took a basin of water and stooped down in front of each one of those men and washed their feet. And when he washed their feet, he said to them, he said, What I am doing right now, you don't understand. It takes divine revelation by the Holy Spirit for you to be able to understand that principle. And so Paul looks back on the life of Christ and he says that is man's example for him to love his wife as Christ loved the church and thus gave himself for it. And we see that all throughout this uh, particular chapter, this chapter that began on page number 31 in the book. I, at the end of it, I was kind of exhausted. I thought, you know, we'll be able to sit down and knock this out in about 15 minutes. And uh, this, was, uh, this was two times. I had, to, I had to sit down twice to complete it the first, the, the first time because the author um, had me searching out 40 separate passages of Scripture. So you have 40 separate passages of Scripture that the author will direct you to to look up that he believes shares a principle or a precept about a husband's responsibility towards his wife. And that's why I said, you've got to dig these truths out. They're not going to just leap up off the page. You've got, to dig, you've got to dig them out. He also gives us 106 opportunities to write ways to show our appreciation for our spouse or attributes that our spouse possesses that we do appreciate. And I encourage you men to, continue to do that. You know, the book will do you no good if all you do is read it, glean through it, and you don't pull your pen out because when you write these things down, it demands that you think on them and express the reflection of your heart through pen or through pencil, correct? And so there were also then 15 pages of instruction. So I want to take just a moment because here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to do what Dr. Brasfield did tonight. I'm going to extend the lesson. But I thought that I needed to go back, in my personal opinion, make clarity on a couple of things that are said in this particular book, or this particular chapter here. So because the wording of it, I thought, it could cause you to stumble a little bit if you don't put it right here in its proper perspective. So let's just think about this for a moment. So I'm on page 31. I'm going to turn over here just a little bit. I'm going to arrive at page number 35. And I'm going to bring a little bit of clarity. Now remember, the author is taking us on a journey, gentlemen, where he's teaching you biblical principles that he believes are that should be embedded in your heart and spirit that you are your wife's leader and lover, lover and leader. That Those are biblical revelations. But just the wording of, and he even says that, just the wording of a leader sometimes can be misconstrued. We almost have it in a secular mindset, correct? Right, we think about a leader. He even said that in the, in the book. He said we have, think about a boss. We think about a boss who might be, uh, you know, lording over us or more directive or whatever. But then he said this, and it's under D that I want to catch this real quickly. And I, I wrote a note. I said, this is needing clarification. Undoubtedly, it says God expects the husbands to lead and serve his wife by teaching her. So let me go ahead and draw back on this for a moment. This book was written in 1977, and in 1977, you had a little bit more of what we would call the nuclear family, and we often had more of a um, a lot more homemakers, and you had the the male that was typically going out and coming in in the evening type thing, and so he, I know what he's doing here by saying that he's basing it upon. 1 Corinthians 14, and I believe 34, where it says that the wife should ask her husband about something based upon what took place in a in a in a in a, in a uh, worship service. But here's what clarity says: is in that culture that Paul's actually addressing, women did not have education at the degree that the man did, typically, and so Paul makes that statement. So, but now, a lot has changed from that time till now, and so many times uh, ladies are even more educated than men in our generation and sometimes even biblically are much more educated about certain things in scripture so i wanted to just bring clarification and say gentlemen you have to be very very careful um i, I wrote it this way i learned this a long time ago my name is people know me today synonymously with my calling pastor brown right that's how. that's how y'all know pastor brown pastor brown well, there is one person here that I am not the pastor of, and that's Sister Sharita, And that's because I learned years ago I can't pastor her. It's not my responsibility to pastor her. At the time, she had a pastor, Pastor Larry Burton. He was her pastor. Now, I certainly can lead. If I'm going to share and teach her things, it's going to primarily be by example, that I'm going to set my heart and mind to be an example in front of her because if I walk around thinking that I have a higher spiritual knowledge and understanding that she does to the degree that it diminishes her chapter six will not be happening very often in the brown house so (laughs) let's quickly move on (laughs) let's move along very very fastly okay so I want to pick it up again for just a moment. I just felt like I should add clarity. Now, remember, this is not the lesson. This is only me elaborating on a couple of points that just kind of, ooh, I just said, ooh, I just think I'm going to add to it. Here he says in the middle of the page, it says, E, God has ordained that this should be the husband. And that was the final decision maker. And even that wording strains me to hear that just a little bit. Because actually it doesn't say that in Scripture, that God says that the husband is the final decision maker. You may say it's implied based upon that the Scripture says he is the head of the wife and different things. That's fine. But it doesn't plainly say it. I like the latter portion about the next paragraph And it said, if the wife's opinion differs from the husband on major issues where there's no scriptural directive, I think the husband should be very careful about forcing his opinion on the wife. Perhaps at these times, the best course of action for the husband would be to assure his wife that he respects her opinion and vice versa, right? And ask her to pray with him for a clear understanding of what God wants them to do. I think that to me that speaks better than it, God has ordained that the man should make be the, the you know make the final decision. That right there, I still think you got to work together. God wants to bring two together in unity. The last thing that I would want to do is make a decisive decision without the full support of my wife. Okay, so let me go a little bit farther. I noted one more thing. I got one more, and then I'm going to get to where I want to go tonight. Um, I don't like this wording. To me, I I wrote this wording. is very awkward. At times, he may decide to allow his wife to make decisions. I thought, brother, you just need, I don't know about that right there. So you got to be very careful with the way, you know, like where to go on vacation, what rugs or drapes or furniture. So again, what I'm saying is he's probably writing from a little bit of a different era than where we've kind of arrived at some today. It doesn't mean the scriptures have changed, but how you apply those, you need to find the right way of making that applicable to your marriage. Come on, amen. So let me go one last page here, I think, if I could, mostly. And I'm going to jump all the way over here if I can. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm just a glutton for punishment, I suppose. Page number 43 here. i want to bring some clarity to that one real quickly. All right. So he's, this one is one where it says, you may express love, because he's teaching the men to express love to their wife by assisting her. So, so we all have defined roles and responsibilities in marriage, correct? We're going to search those out. But the Bible doesn't define what our chores are around the house. And quickly, if you notice, again, it kind of reveals the culture in which he's writing, because notice the chores that he seems to imply immediately belong to the wife. Because he says, sometimes husbands think there is something unmasculine about doing the dishes, cleaning the house, taking care of the children, or going shopping. As if that's the role of the wife or her responsibilities, and, and you must be the very spiritual man if you go around and you help the wife to take care of the house. I still think that when it comes to what happens in the home and outside the home as of chores and things of that nature, that's, that's a process of two agreeing and functioning together, and learning what one does that's better or as good, and we complement one another, and we're in harmony with one another. And you can't always get that out of a book. You're going to get that through time and effort, right? Of working together, and 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 of uh, respecting one another. And certainly, there is labor in in the in the kingdom. There's labor in marriage. There's labor in the home. Correct. I mean, the scriptures. Well, God told Adam to work. Adam and Eve till the garden. And if you're married, as long as you're alive, you're going to be tilling the garden, right? There's always going to be uh, work to do. So I just wanted to bring up uh, what I thought was I didn't want you to think that as that I believe in the book because the book is going to make you search out the scriptures. But some of these things you've got to filter a little bit. Is that okay? All right, so now I could have chosen to just say, all right, let's go ahead and begin to just break down chapter number 3 um, and just just you know see if we could just extract a few things out of it, but i 'm not going to do that i 'm going to extend i 'm going to trust you i 'm going to trust that you 're taking this serious you 're getting alone you 're reading you 're thinking and pondering about these things and I prayed very purposely, and I said, "Lord, I want to ask you to help me. Are there some things that I believe?" That maybe not were mentioned particularly by the author. That I think would help in the husband's responsibility. And things that I think that the wife should understand that God... I believe, has either ordained or defined in Scripture that this is a husband's responsibility. So number one, this is what I believe. In order for the man to be, and I believe in that passage, servant leader. I do. I think that's a great analogy to use. I think using Jesus, again, his servant leadership that he displayed is something that all men should look to. But in order for the men, under the sound of my voice whether that be by his podcast or online um, on any facebook or whatever or those that are seated under in this sanctuary right now in order for the man to be the servant leader of the union i believe he must be fully committed to this right here personal discipleship so I'm gonna just i want i want to pause on that and let you think about that you've got to be men you've got to be committed to being a disciple Of the Lord Jesus Christ. A true follower of Christ. I'm not talking about someone. I believe in God. No. No. The Bible says the devils believe in God. So that's not good enough. I'm talking about somebody that says. I am sold out. After this man. Jesus Christ. I'm sold out. Because you cannot lead your wife. Without true and sincere devotion to Christ. How can. How can. I tell you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and you don't even follow Christ in depth and in discipleship. And while the word disciple, the word disciple, as many of you know, typically just means a student or a student follower. And it's almost akin to, I want you to think about when Jesus called his first disciples. So he's walking along the Galilean seashore, and there are some brothers out in a boat, and they come in from, the, from fishing. And remember what he said. He said, come and follow me come and follow me. What does the Bible say? The Bible says they left their nets and they followed him. And if you understand that in a little bit broader Jewish context, that meant they were abandoning, abandoning that even their occupation and some measure of even their family at that time. Now, obviously, it wasn't to leave their wife and that kind of thing, but in the sense of they were following him and being chosen to be a disciple or a student of this rabbi, Yeshua, who they were just then learning to be that was the Christ, the coming son of God or the son of God. And so the reason why I, I just think that's important is my first love in my life must always be my love for God, through Christ. Can I? I'm just going to press that on the heart of these men here tonight, because I want you to see this real quickly. Remember what Jesus Himself said. He said, "If any man come to me, and you say here in this a strange verse of Scripture for strengthening your marriage, if any man come to me and hate not wife, mother, and or excuse me, father, mother, and wife, dot 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 dot, he cannot be my disciple." Isn't that a strange one? How does that strengthen your marriage? That Jesus said that if you're going to come and follow me, he said, hate not. Now, obviously, he's using a play on words here to capture the attention of the people here and that there is an abandonment in, in principle to follow him. So let's read another verse that is very similar. It's in Matthew chapter number 10. He that loveth father, mother, son, or daughter, so I put in parentheses for you, I think it's not taking from the text to safely insert wife. So, we could even read it that way. He that loveth wife more than me is not worthy of me. That's powerful, isn't it? Why am I even saying that to you? Is because your first priority as a man is complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Complete surrender to follow Him, to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All your strength, come on, amen? And so listen, and and so uh, your responsibility as a disciple is what? Search out the scriptures. Because if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, when you attend a strengthening your marriage uh, lesson or or seminar, whatever we're calling this, you won't be amazed as, as if you're reading those texts for the very first time. You won't be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. You will be that you, in your journey of fellowship with God through Christ in the Word, you will have already dug out those principles, dug out those truths, because you are following the Word of God, you're reading the Word, meditating upon the Word, and you're learning to act upon it. And I want you to read this next statement with me real quickly. You get two chances to fill in the blank. Your devotion to your wife will then flow out of your devotion to Christ. Did you hear that, church? Or men, I guess I'm talking to the men. Ladies, I want you to hear that. I, want, I, don't, I don't want you to think, oh, I want him to be so enraptured in love for me. I am the most important person in his life. No, I want you to say my man is sold out to Jesus Christ. He is a lover of God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind. Come on. Right? And, and because in that position then God can speak to him and shape him into the husband that God's designed him to be. Amen. Now, that's a good word right there. Now, what I did learn in this lesson here, these lessons really could be aided by small group uh, interaction. But with a group this large, there's simply no way that we can do that. It might behoove some of you to pull together come together and just say, hey, let's talk about these things here because there are are some responsibilities and ways that you might want to talk out with other men or other ladies as we learn and grow together. And so, but I I just wanted to, to just impress in your spirit tonight that I just believe that that is commandment, if you will, number one. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your mind, soul, and strength. Be a complete follower and student a disciple of jesus christ read about the word i mean and jesus is not just in the red letter part of your bible is he where's that right there he's not in the red letter part only he's in genesis 1 all the way to revelation 22 right he was the word and so you study and you read and you meditate upon the word of god then you will learn of god's many exhortations his commandments his precepts his instructions to me as a husband and my responsibility to my wife i was confronted Coming into the church on Wednesday, no, excuse me, Sunday night by a member of this church, who asked me if I was going to bring up Proverbs as it related to uh, women. And I, I was, he was catching me, this person was catching me off guard. And so, okay, so I thought, Proverbs. He that findeth the wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth the favor of the Lord. Be satisfied with the breast of the wife of thy youth. Drink water out of thy own cistern. No, that wasn't it. He said it's better to live on a rooftop than with a divisive and a contentious woman. Now, I know, wait just a minute. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that even when somebody came in jest, it was just what his intention was. It was simply in jest. I know some of the ladies said, Pastor Brown, that was not funny. Well, I didn't think it was that funny either. but those verses those that word it was already in here because in my journey of discipleship I have searched that out long years ago that's my pull to the men of the sound of my voice start personal discipleship I just think that's where it begins number two are y'all out there today all right now remember I'm following big shadow here trying to step into uh, what Dr. Brassfield shared with us last night I tried to get Shane to teach it. he said no way (laughs) <laughs> My personal devotion to Christ must be empowered by a developing pattern of prayer. So, Pastor, I thought I was going to learn how to be a husband. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence, buff the car. Are y'all out there? Wax on, wax off. Pastor Brown, I want you to show me how to love my wife as Christ loved the church, be a total devoted follower of Christ, and then develop a pattern of prayer, a pattern of prayer in your life. Men, you are called to pray. You're called to pray. That, I mean, you are called. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know who said that? Jesus did, amen. Who all said this? Paul said this. I would that men would what? Pray always. Pray always. So let me tell you real quickly a little bit about prayer. It's just, these are just little bullet points, but this is we're building something tonight. We're building upon a foundation, and so I'm trying to bring the men. If you've been taught, men, by this book, that to love and to lead are the most two critical parts of your responsibility as a husband, but if you don't have the disciplines in place inside of you, you won't know how to love, and you won't know how to lead, right, until you become a follower of Christ, and, and you learn a pattern and develop a pattern of prayer. So prayer, and prayer does encompass something. It pro- encompasses interceding and praying for my spouse. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But your first objective in prayer, gentlemen, is consecration. It should be consecration. My submission and devotion to God. That's the only. That's where when I learn something in the Scripture, how does it become applicable in my life when I flesh that thing out in prayer? I'm going to use another word here in just a moment. If I become that true and devout disciple of Christ and I study diligently the Word, but I fail to seek God's grace in prayer, I will never fully be able to become the man that God's called me to be. And I'm telling you, it's the place where we fail at so often because we have time for everything else except for alone time with God. And I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, condescending by saying that. I'm just trying to uh, speak a reality that needs to, to to quicken something inside us. On your discipleship journey, you will become instructed in some pretty challenging directives, men. I'm, there were only two that were kind of highlighted. Love wife as Christ loved the church. But that's a lot. You could build an entire basis of... Of, of of your relationship with your wife just on that verse of scripture and so that's a great challenging thing how can i love as christ's love right how can i even how would paul even use this is listen a man who does not listen there's the blank does not wrestle this out before the lord in prayer and learn to crucify your carnal nature you cannot fulfill that biblical expectation There's no way that I can love Sherry, at least even in some measure of the way that Christ loved the church, if I don't develop a pattern of prayer in my life. Because man is carnal, man is selfish, man is envious, man is jealous, man wants to satisfy himself all the time. And if I don't crucify myself in the the prayer closet, crucify my flesh, I can never love and never serve. And if I go through the motion, I can be a great student of the Word. But being a great student, well, all I'll have is head knowledge. I will never have proven it. Prayer is the great place where we wrestle these things out. You know what, guys? You have to be very intentional. You have to be consistent. You have to develop this pattern of prayer. And I want to challenge you with this. You've got to have a place of prayer that you're familiar with. How many remember Jesus' place of prayer? Where was it? It's, in the, it's on the notes. Gethsemane. Right, It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was there. The Bible plainly says it was a place that Jesus resorted to often, a place that he was familiar with. I believe that every man has to have a place where he is familiar with in prayer towards God. And you have to be very, very intentional in that place. And it's got to be the place where you go further. And let's think about that for just a moment because it's a pattern for us just real quickly of what we see even as men. A man's wrestling with something. It may be an issue related to his wife or his family or just something. Maybe there's marital issues that he's dealing with. And men are just like ladies in this. We typically want somebody to pray with us. And we'll gather a group of people and we'll say, we want you to pray with us. So think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus had a very challenging day in front of him uh, on the night that he went into Gethsemane. And he left nine disciples on the outside of the gate. And there are some people you've got to leave on the outside of those really tough parts of your life. Right? Not everybody needs to know what you're struggling with. right? Can I just tell you, a lot of your struggles don't need to be Facebook Live. right? You don't, I mean, We think we're very spiritual when we put that on Facebook. And we just want everybody to pray. No, really what we want to do is want everybody to pray for us while we are reluctant to go and die to ourselves in prayer. And so what Jesus did was he, then he brought his three most innermost uh, you know, disciples, the ones that he was closest to, the ones that had been with him in some very, very difficult situations, and he did unveil some things to them. As you know, he said, I'm exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. My soul is grieved in trouble. I've gone through marriage problems. Guys, I need you to help me. Can somebody pray with me? Can somebody watch with me? But that's where men have a tendency to stop at. And they don't go that stone's throw deeper into the garden where they get alone and there's nobody but you and God. And that's the place, only there, men, is where you're going to die to yourself, crucify your flesh. That's where God will send the angel. That's where God will strengthen you. That's where you'll get his grace when you wrestle those things out in prayer. Somebody, your closest friends, can't carry that burden for you. It's a pattern of prayer. It's got to be developed. And you say, Pastor, sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's not just from. It's got to be more than just crisis to crisis. Our cultures developed a pattern of prayer based entirely upon crisis. Instead of f- developing communion and fellowship, what was one of the first things that you read about in the Genesis about God dealing with Adam and Eve in the garden? Chapter number three, it says that God came down in the cool of the day. So, God would come and walk with them and talk with them and fellowship with them. And so, prayer can't just be always about crisis or intercession or intervention, about God, I need your help or I need you. Sometimes it's just coming to just develop communion and fellowship with Him. It, that's why I said it's a pattern of prayer. So, listen to this as you read that with me. In broken humility before God, men, you will enlist His aid and you will become the man and the husband you've been called to be. I believe prayer is the place where that's shaping. There, listen. That's underlined for you. Left blank. You petition in prayer, what you need, what you know you need to perform in life. Now that's good. Let me just pause on that. I feel I almost spoke in tongues on that right there. So if you're new to us, yeah, no snakes in here, but we do speak in tongues. (laughs) Let me say it one more time. No snakes in here, but we do speak in tongues, right? And so, real quickly, you petition in prayer. So, so what? What when I gain a principle out of the Word of God that is overwhelming and says to love my wife, I've got to get alone with Christ, and I've got to say, God, you got to help me in this. Father, you've got to help me to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. Lord, you said I'm to nourish her and, and, and to cherish her. God, I'm gonna, you're gonna have to show me, especially what if you weren't nourished as a child? What if you were not shown these principles by a godly father or you saw them firsthand or a pastor or leader somebody in your life and you're just new to the faith? You're gonna have to get alone with God and just be transparent and vulnerable before Him because you learned, you studied, you read the book, you read chapter three, and you learned something in scripture and you're like oh my gosh that's a great task and i think it could be good it says don't be bitter against her i don't know how to not be bitter what if you're a bitter person and then the bible's telling you don't be bitter but you've been bitter all your life because you've had a lot of stuff happen to you but god says no excuse don't be bitter against your wife. Then you better get along with God and say, God, you're not, this bitterness does not please you, and it stinks in your nostrils. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you've got to give me the grace to be able to pull this principle that's uh, inside me. i got to get it out of me, Lord. Right? And you begin to, tra- that's a- so I, I petition God in prayer what I want to perform in my marriage. Man, I'm going to take up an offering right there. I'm preaching myself happy in here tonight. And so I'm going to learn to honor her, to care for her. I'm going to say, God, I need you to help me to provide for her and all the things that I'm the certain responsibilities and to do all the things that you desire me of my husband. But if you don't develop a pattern of prayer, <laughs> let me tell you what you'll do. You'll pray Christ's prayers the rest of your life. You'll pray crisis prayers the rest of your life. I told you, who did I tell today? I can't remember who else. It's Brother Larry today. In my conversations, with Brother Larry Pierce, I said, I, try, I, want, I, I want to try not to use myself as an example. Sherry really wants me to not use certain things as an example. But in this moment, I, th- I feel like I should just for a moment of time. Any, any, not, not because, let me say this very carefully, because anytime you mention and reference yourself, there are those that think that you're doing it for the purpose of some type of self-glorification. But I'm going to just say this tonight. No, that's not the case. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If, if, if I have learned something and I can aid you with it, then I do want you to follow certain things in my life. And so when I was a, a young man and I felt the call of ministry, at, I, I know for some of you, <laughs> I got to thinking about this. I was a little bit nervous when, tonight when I got here and I saw so many of you. And I, I've been preaching. Next year, for 40 years, how about that, 40 years I've been preaching the gospel since I was 16 years old. And I know, again, I've said this before, your first thought is you'd think you'd be better than that after 40 <laughs> years of practice. Maybe this is my 40 years of wandering, and I'm going to come into the promised land <laughs> soon. But what I learned when I first went in the military and I got my first duty station, Sherry and I lived in Alexandria, Louisiana. We were at, I was stationed at England Air Force Base. We had a little, we were in an apartment complex that, for whatever reason, had a little section of woods in it, or just down from it right there, and that was just in a little lake for it right there. So when we would come home in the afternoons, um, I I just was, this call of God was on my life. I was just trying to learn to be a disciple and, and studying the scriptures and reading and meditating, but what I would do is I would go into those woods and I would walk alone in those woods, and I would pray audibly, and I would pray out loud, and I would petition God in the name of Jesus. If it, and it wasn't that I was interceding always about things. I wasn't always just, oh, God, help Sister Sherry learn to be the wife she should be. That wasn't the prayer of my heart. It was communion with God. It was a pattern. It was a familiar place. It was there that I learned to be comfortable in prayer. And when I learned to be comfortable in prayer, when you have crisis moments, and we all have crisis moments, then I'm not estranged from that place of prayer. I can quickly find my pattern in my place and i can get that communion with god so i just want to encourage you to not men you know get alone with the lord come on somebody get alone with god work these things out the principles that you learn in the book and in god's book man begin to begin to speak to the lord in prayer and ask the lord for his help i wish we could pause and just talk about them but time doesn't allow us to do so so you're just going to have to allow me to press on dr brassville didn't ask to take questions Seven forty-two. i got to move on here tonight Ooh, that guy! I'm going see ya. Told you we do speak in tongues here. The husband, number three, and they follow one upon the other, should prophetically speak the word of faith to his wife and over his wife. That's what I believe is your responsibility. Let me just tell you that. I know, I know. There's a lot of other things, love and leave. But let me just tell you this real quickly. There is power in your words, men. If we would just learn that, we shape the culture of the home. I'll get to that quickly. I've got to go a little bit faster. I preached about it on Sunday some. But let me just, I want you to read that with me right there. How many of you know God begins all things with the word? God doesn't just think it and it happens. God speaks it and it happens. And we're made in the likeness and image of God. And there's a part of the Christian community that says all Christians are walking around trying to create things through the spoken word. We're just simply following what our father showed us how to do. Right? That's all we've done. And so, real quickly, I want you to think about your marriage and your consummation of your marriage. You consummated your marriage by sexual intercourse. But you initiated that covenant by a spoken word. When you said in front of others, you are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I will leave father and mother, and I will cleave entirely to you. You are engaging, entering in a covenant by a spoken word. So, to speak prophetically includes speaking kindly towards your wife. We read this last week. And we're going to, or on Sunday, we're going to read it one more time. Let's just turn to it real quickly. And I want you to read this with me for a moment of time. And I want you to read it, especially in context of marriage. And I want the men to read it. And I want you to think about your wife. And I want to think about your family. I want you to read it, men, with me just real quickly. Get it in your heart. Don't ever forget this passage of Scripture. You say, Paul's not talking to the husband or the wife. He's talking to all the church. Yes, read it through the lens as if he was speaking directly to you as a husband. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Oh, the gentlemen are still slow. Ladies, it's a good time for you to nudge them real quickly. Let me say, let no corrupt, maybe it's because it's King James English, but let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Because if you don't look at the 30th verse, you're going to grieve the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And verse 31, so let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God has, for Christ's sake, forgiven you. If you men will hide that passage in your hearts, beginning on the 29th verse, and say, God, you're going to give me the grace to control what I say so that when I say something to or over or about my spouse, I'm going to speak as someone who's in authority and is not going to speak words that are detrimental and tear down but are going to build up and proclaim the goodness of God. Men, that is your responsibility. Practice speaking prophetic words concerning your wife in prayer. <laughs> I'm going to just give you an example right there. I'm going to just show you. I can't tell you the countless times, thousands of times in 37 years of marriage that Sherry and I have been married in May of this year, 37 years of marriage. And so that the countless times that I have spoken words like this in prayer, i said, God, I said it this morning, my wife is a fruitful vine by the side of my house. That's Psalm 120. Eight or 127. My wife is a fruitful vine by the side of my house. She will do me good all the days of, my, of her life. That's uh, Proverbs 31. I will be satisfied with the breasts of the wife of my youth. I ain't going to be lusting after everybody else. Come on somebody. I'm going to pro- prophesy that I am satisfied. My sexual desires and appetite is going to be met and satisfied in my spouse. I'm going to prophetically proclaim that. Come on. Are you all out there? That's what God wants you to do. My wife is a gift from God. When I found her, I found a good thing, and I obtained favor of the Lord. I will love her as Christ loved the church. And again, she will do me good, not evil, all the days of her life. Come on, somebody. And when you learn to prophesy that over that, even you say, Pastor Brown, I, you, that don't sound like my wife. Well, you've got to shape her by the prophetic word. You call things that be not as though they were. You speak by the word of faith, and you say this. You, you know because that's what God said about her, right? Don't say what you think. You say what God said about her. If you truly are the leader of the union, then you understand the power to harm through malicious words and the power to enhance by speaking the prophetic word. But i got to go on. I, gotta, I feel like I'm rushing, but I'm sorry. I'm still trying to figure this out. So church family, y'all give me some grace as we figure it out here t- over the next couple of weeks. Now again, of course, I'm only teaching th- next week's lesson and then Dr. Brassfield's teaching again and then Shane's gonna teach and then I'm gonna teach a couple more and then Shane's gonna teach. So the husband, number four, I know I'm giving you a lot, correct? That's why we're putting it on podcasts and we're putting it on the Facebook so you can go back and watch it, right? But you know what? We prayed that God would open your heart. Men, we prayed. some of these things are principles that that may be new to you for the first time. And there's always things in Scripture that will become new to all of us at times, that we've never saw it before. We may have read it, but it wasn't revealed to us. But then the Spirit reveals it to us. But some of these things that we're talking about tonight, I'm just trying to be honest. After 37 years, I've proven these things, and God is faithful. His Word will not return to him void. It will. It will not if you believe. So the husband is the spiritual protector of his wife and family let that drop down in your spirit man i guess i'm speaking to the men here let's catch that in marriage first of all if the wife is truly born again she's got to be vigilant too come on ladies right given no place for the adversary to speak reproachfully but in genesis man was to keep the garden Right? Does anybody remember that? Keep the garden? The word keep didn't mean just to till it for production, but it meant to protect it. To protect it. And so I want you to see this. Men, I'm going to speak to you for a minute. You read this with me real quickly. When the apostle Peter describes the wife in context, he says, give honor to her as to the weaker vessel. So Paul, and she may be spiritually strong and hopefully that she is, but you don't even presume that. You just get up in the morning and say, it is my job. It is my responsibility to keep this garden. And so my obligation is to protect Eve from the subtlety of the serpent. I want to say that right there. Adam's first obligation is to protect Eve from the subtlety of the serpent. So your first line of defense is spiritual preparedness. you got to be vigilant, watchful. In ancient days, did you know the husband used to sleep at the door of his house at times? right, As a protector, almost like the shepherd of the sheep. And so me and you and I have got to be vigilant, vigilant in our defense. I want to think about that for a moment. We live in a generation where we encourage people to have home defense. And I guarantee you, under the sound of my voice, there are men that go to bed at night, and you've got an alarm system on your house, and you've got a, a, a shotgun beside you when you go to bed, you got, and, and you're like, I'm not putting my pistol in a locked box where I'm stumbling in anxiety to get it out if, the, if the, somebody breaks in. My pistol is right there, maybe even under your pillow. I've seen people that have something hidden in the headboard of their, of their bed, and they bang it, and a rifle drops down, and they catch it. You know, and they and they and they feel like they are prepared to protect their home, and they could against a natural intruder, but they don't understand that the enemy doesn't always travel in in a natural body, and there are spiritual entities and spiritual powers that a man needs to lift up his voice and say, "This is my garden, glory to God." And the enemy, you can't have my Eve. You can't have me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bind the enemy. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. Remember this. How many know Jesus is our example? Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. As husbands, we vigilantly intercede for and are a shield for our wife from the fiery darts of the wicked one we take it to prayer when we see something and gentlemen i'm going to say this and next week it'll be the ladies turn there may be times that you see something in your wife that you may say wait a minute i'm not in position to speak to that because it, i may have attempted to speak to that in the past and it will only result in conflict well when that happens let me tell you what you do you better get locked away in, in prayer and you wrestle that thing out before god and you pull down strongholds And you call upon the name of the Lord. And you bind the enemy. And you may say, Satan, you have desired to sift my wife as wheat. But I bind you up in Jesus' name. And you're not going to. Come on, somebody. You can't have her. She's the gift from God. And I pull that area down. She doesn't see it right now, God. But I'm going to pray that you open her eyes. That she sees that this is a damaging aspect or a part of her character. An attribute or something that she's struggling with. And you pull that situation down in prayer. So in prayer and in prayer, I petition God for his aid I stand against the adversary because you are called me and you are called to be the spiritual protector of your home come on somebody amen and lastly tonight and I didn't mean to preach on these things I, I, I apologize for that I just it stirs my heart if I can do anything at all for you guys tonight I can't I, I it's one night I got 45 minutes what am I going to do what am I going to say the, the principles are there it takes the spirit to impress them into your heart, to stir your heart, to want to be the man, the husband that God's called you to be. To love and to lead. That's great in principle. right? Well, that's great in principle. And, and I'm kind of extending that a little bit tonight. But some of the things that I've taken you through tonight are just showing you how. Does anybody remember that climatic moment? You know that I'm tell, revealing a little bit of my childhood. Here, I can still remember when Sister Sharita and I, and I've clarified, I keep saying, I'm sorry, it's not Sharita, it's Sherry. And it's not Leroy, it's Lee, but it sounds better, Leroy and Sharita. So we're going we're gonna to go that way. So in 1984, when I was a 10th grader and, uh, and she was uh, in the first year of college, come on, somebody. <laughs> come on, somebody. It might have been 1985, I can't remember. I might have been an 11th grader, and now I'm dating a sophomore. And by the time I'm a senior, I'm engaged. And on the night that I graduated, I got married. How about that? Come on, somebody. So we're sitting right here in the old burned down fire, or what burned down the uh, movie theater. And we watched Karate Kid, right? Where I learned, wax on, and it bore witness to me because I was a basketball player that loved the dynamic of fundamentals. I loved ball handling, dribbling, everything over and over again. Repetition, repetition, elbow in, 1 o'clock, elbow in, 1 o'clock, elbow in, 1 o'clock. So when I saw the karate man here and karate man here and watch this, I understood. And I understood and paint the fence and paint the fence and paint the fence. And finally, the young boy, y'all remember that? He's mad. He thinks that the instructor's taking advantage of him. And finally, on the beach that day, you remember that? He goes, Danielson, And then all of a sudden, he painted the fence. He waxed the the car he didn't know it but he had built a spiritual dis- he had built a discipline into his life and when it's built inside of you you just react what's in you will come out of you right and if it's inside you that you are ordained of god men as a spiritual protector of your house then you will plead the blood of jesus come on like moses on the mountain over your wife and over your family it's built in who you are lastly tonight I'm sorry. I'm a radical. I didn't know it. Y'all have drawn it out of me here tonight. Number five, the husband is to be the provider of the home. What, what what, does that even mean in a two-income, two-career household in the modern culture? I need to get to that real quickly. It means that the husband will do whatever is necessary and helpful for the welfare of his wife and his, children, and his house. His desire is to provide her the opportunity to be all God has called her to be. That should be. And, and that's different for everybody, isn't it? Because under the sound of my voice are those who are homemakers and mothers. Others are mothers and yet career oriented. And so, that, and so for others, I read it, wrote it this way, it's a career that profits the home and family. Whatever's applicable to you, I'm not trying to define for you what is working and should work for you. That's between your spouses, the, th- the two spouses, and your, and your agreement. But what I'm saying to you as the husband, as the leader, your responsibility is to ensure that you're working in unity for God's best. And you're willing to do whatever it takes Whatever it takes. Remember this provision is not limited to resources. Let me say it, it's not limited to resources. Provision or providing implies providing. Listen, the overall culture. How many know that in the football world all the time? Well, we've developed a good a culture here. A culture. How many know there's a culture in your home? How many know that men as leaders should set the culture at home? And you do. You do you do it good or bad. Typically, typically not always, typically. Not always, but many times the man will set the culture of that home. And many times, tragically, in our generation, we have seen the culture of the home uh, created in detriment, detrimental to the health of the home because of an angry or a bitter man. Are y'all out there tonight? But if you understand that it's your responsibility to provide an atmosphere of love, respect, friendship, companionship accountability laughter discipleship on and on many more you could add to that and say man that's your responsibility to just make sure that your home has a healthy culture to it that you're providing the atmosphere because that's what good things grow in so let's add to that again let's it. it's because the culture determines the atmosphere and that the atmosphere is what's going to determine what grows in your house So go back to that passage where it says in Psalm 127, I think, or 128, the two that are back-to-back there, that my wife is a fruitful vine by the side of my house. Pause. And my children are as olive plants round about my table. So the culture that I create with my wife is going to radically affect the atmosphere where my children grow. And men, you set the tone. Come on now, right? So let's read and let's close together. And I know if y'all might be new here tonight, you may think again, man, they drugged me out here for this crazy radical pastor. But I believe in these principles with my heart. I can say that. I believe, men, that you have certain responsibilities. I couldn't cover all the responsibilities tonight. We would be, again, we would be like Gandalf in there in the room trying to figure this thing out. Our responsibility, again, to provide whatever is necessary for our relationship to bring God glory. We desire God. I want you to think about that for a moment as as we totally close this off here tonight. So go back to the Genesis with me for just a moment. We have this moment here with God and the creation where God has looked upon his creation. He's created Adam. Somewhere towards the latter part of the, of the end of that sixth day, he's given him responsibility. He's awakened gifts in Adam's life. Adam has named all of the animals that God has brought before him. Um, a lot's taken place in a short period of time. He's, and, and yet God had said, he said, it is good. God had looked upon things and said, it is good. But then God looked and said, it's not good that man should be alone. So I will do something. Dr. Brassel went to it last week. I will make a help. Listen to this. I'll talk about this next week. This will be my lead in. We often say help mate. It doesn't say that. Help meet. Help meet a helper suitable for the man. And so he caused him to sleep. He took of his rib. Dr. Brassel addressed woman was inside of man from the very Genesis, right? Right. And once he drew out woman and he brought woman to man, and there was an initiation of the covenant by the spoken word of God. Remember how I say it? What, was what, God, what did Adam say when he woke up? What did he say? He'd been looking at apes and giraffes and lions. Uh, oh, whoa, man. You got to read that. You got to read it the right way. I read, obviously, I watched too much television as a child. Because he said, whoa, man. He had not seen anybody looking like that in the garden, right? I mean, something started stirring inside of him that he didn't get stirred when he saw the giraffe and the orangutan, nothing of that, but when she came walking out of the leaves and the bushes, something got uh, moving and going, and there was a lot of things happening there, and he said, this is woman, right, come on, but remember what God said, what did God say when he brought the woman to the man, he said, it is very good, Your marriage can be very good. Men, according to the lesson, you're the leader. Take the initiative. Be the student. Do the things. I'll tell you what. You can set the culture and the tone for your marriage. And God can pronounce your marriage as very good. I believe that. Can we close in prayer tonight? I want to apologize before I do. I wish that I could pause in the middle of all this and say, let's talk about it. But look around. It's a great turnaround, great turnaround out of people, and I just simply couldn't, but I really believe that y'all need to talk about this. I, th- I believe you either need to definitely husbands and wives or, or couples or whoever or small groups even ought to form and just say, hey, let's go back to lesson one. Let's go back and let's take time to talk about it. I want God's very good, don't you? I want nothing but the best for your family. I just believe that if we can get it right, if you can get it right, you can set a precedence. I mean, you know, you can, we can adjust the curve in this country, right? If, if, if somebody will just get it right, right, we can adjust the curve. So let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm humbled by the people that are here tonight. I was intimidated to be here in front of such a host tonight, Father. And I hope that, God, that in my my, zeal, my, 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 my my zeal for these things, God, that I haven't uh, moved so far that it's, it, it was too much for somebody. I, I, I just hope that, that there was something that was said, something that was on the page, something that was in the book, something that was on the screen, something that, God, just stirred the heart of not only the men, first the men, God, to just, to just strive, to just strive. God, to be a student and to learn so that they can grow and to be who you've called them to be. But also the ladies, God, among us so that they can see that God does expect certain things of their man. And to pray that God will work in their husband to will and to do Of God's good pleasure so Lord I've just blessed if I can tonight I bless the men come on somebody men, won't you stand up tonight just real quickly all around this room tonight let's just take a moment and let's just pray listen ladies you pray for the men as they stand God we pray for these men tonight father it's a husband's responsibilities father and they're much more in depth and much greater than what I could even have scratched the surface of tonight. But, Father, I pray that you help every man here tonight, God, to conform himself to the will of God, conform himself to the image of Jesus, God. Father, if he's married, I pray that he, Father, he brings a blessing to his wife to their home, to the culture of their home, and he is who you've called him to be. If he is in the process of learning about marriage, that he's going to be married one day, God. I pray, Lord, that you are building these principles inside of him, Father, so that he can be the husband that you that you've designed him to be, Father. Let all of us know that we can have new beginnings in God. We can start clean and fresh by virtue of the blood of Jesus. God, right now, we just plead the blood. Because I want—I know this, God, every man that stood up here tonight has had failure in his life. He's had mistakes. He's done things that he shouldn't have done, said things he shouldn't have said. He was quiet when he should have spoken. He was absent when he should have been present. All those things, God, Father. But we have a new day in you, and we just ask for your help. Help us as men, God, to just become the husband that you have designed us to be, Father. Bless these men as they go forward tonight. They're going to walk out of here tonight and let them be a student. Let them be a student say, God, I'm going to learn. I want all that you've got for me, Lord Jesus. I want everything, everything that I can get, Lord. Let me be a student, God, for, the, for my sake and the sake of my family, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's children said, amen and amen and amen. Well, thank God.